We're reading Genesis 22, 1 through 18 this morning. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And they came to the place of which God had told him. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offering as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Reading of God's word. Thanks, Sarah. Well, we are coming to the end of what's been a few months um, looking in the book of Genesis, particularly focusing on Abraham, and as our role model of faith, of someone who didn't always know where he was going, what he was doing, and we all face times in our life when we don't know what's happening. And Abraham shows us a pattern of how to walk by faith, and we're coming to the end of that. Uh, we'll move on to another portion of Scripture. But this is the pinnacle. This, this piece of Scripture right here stands as one of the most important in all the Old Testament. It, um, 
to get an idea, I want us to, we, we did not read chapter 21, but I do want to talk about one verse before we deal with this uh, incredible story in chapter 22. We've been looking at how Abraham takes God at his word, that he simply is learning to believe God when God says something. Boy, that's easy to say sometimes and hard to do because we want the reasons why, right? Every young children do not have to be told to ask why, right? To almost do anything. It just comes naturally, just like no. It just comes. Why? We want to know why. It's a very human thing. And there are times when God gives us the why, and there are times when he doesn't until, and then there are times when we never know why. All those things are true sometimes, and part of the faith walk is learning to say yes to God, whether you know the why or don't know the why. The second thing we've been learning about Abraham as our role model of faith is how the timing isn't in his hands. That We've had this 25-year period from the promise of an offspring, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, now we have 25 years later, and I want to go to chapter 21 because to me it's a very remarkable couple of verses in the beginning of chapter 21 of Genesis for their unremarkability. We've been focusing for 10 chapters in 25 years on how is this old man and this old lady going to actually become parents. And in our world, we tend to overpromise and underdeliver because getting people in the door the first time is what counts. If you like 11 years ago now, there was a movie called Snakes on a Plane. It was the first movie that was sort of an internet release. It was so bad they didn't want to actually show anybody, so they put it out. Do y'all remember this? If you, you, some of y'all are too young to remember, it, but it was it was all this hype, and I would just call it turbulence on a plane, and it's a terrifying horror movie to me. Snakes on a plane is just beyond me, but but. They just, you know, hyped it up so much, and that was the best part of the movie was the internet hype. Apparently, I haven't seen it, but apparently that was just, you know, and pretty much the movie was there were snakes on a plane. But read with me, if you will, Genesis 21 and 1 and 2 for the exact opposite of a God who over delivers on amazing promises. Here we have, we're going to start with verse 2, actually, and I'm going to jump back to verse 1. This is Genesis 21, 2. Remember, 25 years and 10 chapters of Scripture essentially helping us to get to this point. And here's what he says as the moment arrives. And Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son. No angels sing yet. That's it. There you go. For all that, boom. You could have said that about, I mean, we're going to have several people getting, giving birth in a few weeks. We could say, you know, and, and Ashley gave Muad a son. Same thing. I mean, there's nothing. It's not like, and after 25 years, and after all this. Why? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. I'm guessing here. But read with me verse 1 of chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. As she became pregnant, not through angelic like the Virgin Mary, through the natural means, but he had said Remember when the three visitors came in the, in the chapter before? He said, in a year from now, you're going to be with child. He visited Sarah as he said he would. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. See, the scripture 
It is amazing what God does, but it's not unexpected because God is faithful. I got a piece of uh, literature. We're, we're getting into another political season. Praise God. I, I just, it's been so long since we've had one. I just, I don't know what I've done with myself, but I got my uh, local elections coming up for a few delegates and things. And I got a piece of, of literature within the last week or two that said this, whatever the person's name was, I don't even know who it was. They did a big banner. They fulfilled their campaign promises, essentially. I don't know how it was worded, but you know, this person did what they said they would do. And this was, I was getting a mailer. And I thought to myself, well, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Like, do what you say you're going to do? Isn't that? But of course, in our, we understand how politics works. That is sometimes rare, isn't it? Right? We overpromise, we get elected, and we're not trying to underdeliver, but the reality of life comes in. But for someone to say, I actually promised it, and I got it done. Right? And we all go, whoa! Here's what the Bible says. God promised it. A miraculous birth to a 90-year-old woman. God promised it, and it was done. And I think the Bible writes, well, well, of course. Because character and consistency are the hallmarks of our God. And so the fact that it happens, he just says, and just like he said he would, he gave Sarah and Abram a son. We have to be careful not to take for granted that, but we also ought not be surprised that our God is faithful. And sometimes I think we look and we say, oh, wow, God actually did that. And it reveals to us maybe that we think God's like humans, that sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. You realize God is always faithful to his word and faithful to himself. Now, it doesn't always play out the way we think it should. Again, remember what Abram's learning. The timing is in God's hands. But God is faithful. So we now have the birth of Isaac that we've been waiting for in chapter 21. Several stories kind of wrap up what should be now that, you know, we all want smooth sailing in our life. We all want to have the placid waters and everything is well and there's no sickness and there's no problems in our families. We want to get to that point. And it almost seems like at the end of this chapter, we've gotten there. Hagar and Ishmael, they go through another trial, but God has decided, he has promised Ishmael to take care of him and Hagar. And uh, Abraham has shown himself to be faithless again with uh, another king in Gerar named Abimelech, but God has again shown himself greater than Abraham's faithlessness. He ends up making a treaty with this king. And, uh, and it looks like the, the, the violin string should start playing here. We are, Isaac is born, the promise is fulfilled, the covenant is, is coming alive, and we've, you know, we've, we've overcome the problems. As a matter of fact, Abram declares, we, we learn different names for God that uh, throughout Scripture, and one is given here in uh, the end of chapter 21 of Genesis. If you have your Bible, you can look at uh, the second to last verse of chapter 21. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. It was, a, it was a memorial, a way to remember. And that's one of the ways we stay amazed at what God does is through memorials. We remember the faithfulness of God and that he came through and did it. 
In Beersheba, this well where he had made this uh, covenant with the king Abimelech, and he called there on the name of the Lord, and he gives that the name Yahweh, the, the, the proper name for God, but he, then he gives him an attribute, and he says, El Olam, the everlasting God. And Olam, this, this term means both future in perpetuity and in past, that he is a God of the marathon, the enduring God, always their God. And so it's sort of like it, it would strike me that, wow, we've just sort of come to the end of the story and, you know, now we'll move on. And yet Abraham is going to face now a new test. And it is a test. If you'll read with me where we started Genesis 22. After these things, we don't know how long it was. We know Isaac was old enough to be talking and carrying wood and be, he wasn't a toddler. He wasn't a full-grown adult. Uh, well, at least he wasn't in his 30s because we know by Sarah's death. But we don't know exactly how old Isaac was at this point. But at some time later, God tested Abraham. Testing's an interesting thing. Everybody's going to get it. In the book of James in the New Testament, it says, Consider it all joy. When you encounter various testing and trials. I don't know about you, but that is, well, that's a, I love to quote that verse. Walking in that verse to consider it joy. Testing and trying. Why are there tests? Every student here wants to know, right? Why are there tests? Right? My son loves to tell me, I don't need to take the test. I know the material. Great. Then you'll do well on the test. Yeah, but why do I have to take it if I know it? And you could say, well, to, to prove to the teacher. Kind of frankly, the teacher doesn't care. I mean, they do care, but it's not for them, right? Who are the tests for? They're to know that the student knows it, ultimately. I mean, I know we all work in the education system, but ultimately, every test should be so that we know that we know. And for whatever his sovereign reasons in this, God, who already knew what Abram, how he would respond, he knew Abram's heart, Abraham's heart. But he knew that Abraham, the quality of his faith needed to be tested. And the Bible is going to tell us it's, it's partly for us. That Abraham is a model for us of the way to live. So please, please, as it says in Peter, don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you. Now, what is your test going to look like? I don't know. I know you may not relish it in the moment. I know it may take some effort to consider it joy. We could all stand up. If I ask you, what's your biggest test right now? Some of y'all are facing some pretty big tests of your faith. Is there a God that loves me and is with me in the face of, and you can fill in your blank, can't you? But this is the test we face and, this, that face, and this is the walk we have like Abraham had. And here he is, the promise is in front of him. And it's God's promise, and he knew God was in it. That's the thing. It's not like, well, was Isaac the promised child or not? Boy, I guess we better decide. He knew. It was a miracle. A 90-year-old woman had given birth. She's laughing now. It tells us in chapter 21, here this 90-year-old woman is breastfeeding a baby. This is a miracle. And so they start, and he says, 
Abraham, here's what I want you to do. Take your answer to prayer. Take my promise and kill it. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have some questions for God. I, I really would. If, if Benjamin were here, I'd snatch him up and I'd throw him on this altar. I'd clear it out. I'd put some wood on. I'd raise the knife and I'd invite you or to take your children up here. Your, it's not my firstborn son, but it's the one that's in the church today. And I'd invite him to come up and I'd ask you the same question. How joyfully would you kill your son at God's request? Now, I know God's not asking you to do that. And please set aside the Bible, child sacrifice and all that. God was not going to do something that he hated. But that's not a question the Bible cares about. It doesn't address that. And we could talk about that. And it's a worthwhile to talk about. But please lay aside our cultural things. And we can, that's a whole other question that's, again, just not what the Bible, this passage is concerned about. But I just say that, what is the deal here? Why would God ask Abraham to kill and to seemingly destroy what it's taken 25 years, 10 chapters to get to. And I, I want to offer you very simply that I think the text tells us why. First, we already have discussed it. God was testing Abraham's faith, but why? Why test Abraham's faith? Well, I want the scripture to speak to the scripture, Hebrews 11, the hall of faith of people who have walked in faith. And here it is addressed pretty directly. Hebrews 11, verse 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises of God, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So I'd say I get down on Abraham some because he's shown himself at times to be faithless and a, a, a feet of clay. But I got to give it up for a guy who got up early in the morning the next day and said, God, you said and you came through. Remember, Sarah had that baby just like you said. And now I've discerned that you're asking me to take that promise and to kill it. So let's get up. And he tells, said where? Moriah, remember that name. It'll come back because names matter. Place names matter in the Bible. Moriah, go to this high mountain. Three days journey. No knee-jerk reaction, no emotional, okay, we'll do it. Three days to think about. They get there, and on this young boy or young man, whatever he was, he carries his own wood up to the spot because they had to leave their transportation arrangements, the animals, and, and bring the wood up and makes an altar, walking in obedience, not knowing the how and why, but saying, if God's been faithful to this point, 
He isn't going to stop being faithful now. Now, as of this point in Scripture, nobody had ever been raised from the dead. There are some evidence in the Old Testament. There are stories in the Old Testament, but it hadn't happened yet, right? Nobody. But somehow, Abraham, with this faith, believed that even death wasn't the end. God, this God that he was still getting to know, this God who was revealing himself, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Later on in that same book of James, you know, James is a book where we talk about faith versus works, right? And in the book of James, we often get into this debate of, well, you show me your faith by your works, right? And I'll you can tell me about your faith, but what did... And sometimes we think, well, what are the works of faith? And I think sometimes we think good deeds, the works, you know, what are the works of faith? Well, people say, well, look, I'm for justice or I feed the poor, and those are all great things to do. What does the Bible say is a work of faith? What demonstrates the fact that we're people who walk in faith? Well, look with me at James chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now remember what the Bible had said early. We always say Abraham is justified by what? Faith, right? That's a key thing, Romans, and it's true. Justified by faith and faith alone. Look at what James says. He's justified by works when he did what? Fed the poor, which is a good thing to do. When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You want a work of faith. You take what God has given you. The altar is a place of sacrifice. It's a place of death. It's a place where we lay down our rights. Where we lay down our abilities and say, God, I'm yours. Even though Isaac was going to be the, the one on the altar here, this was Abraham's test, his son. And we learned something very important going back to Genesis 22, verse 12, as, as he goes and, you know, I, I truly believe, I mean, people speculate on whether, you know, what Abraham was thinking and whether he knew God would stop him or not. But I think we have evidence from, from Hebrews 11 that, he said, look, God will provide. I have reached the point where I know that God's going to come through. And so even if I go through with this, death isn't the end. God's bigger than whatever. And so here he says, 22 verse 12. The angel of the Lord, as he's reached out his hand, he's taken the knife to slaughter his son. And, and the angel of the Lord, uh, and the angel of the Lord, and the Lord Himself are sort of used interchangeably here. Don't get caught up because the Bible's not caught up in which we're talking about here. It's 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 a voice from heaven. It's God's word. He said, "Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him." Listen to this: For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
This test that Abraham was going through, you say, well, was God some cruel taskmaster that just, I want to see if you're really with me or not. Here's, here's what I glean from this. Here's what, what when, I, when I go and, and sense what the Holy Spirit is saying, and I'll, I'll, I won't pretend this is the only way you can look at the Scripture, but I'll just tell you what speaks to me in this, is that we can love the things of God, even the good things of God, so much that we forget to love and fear God more than anything. And I don't mean the fear of trembling, of, of oh, I think you're going to hurt me, fear. I mean that awesomeness that makes me want to lie down in his presence and simply say, you are amazing. And whatever you ask me to do, of course I will do. And whatever I've got to put on this altar that might say, well, God, you have blessed me. God has blessed me materially. You know, pastors make big money. No, no, I, I do well. I, 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 but, you know, I wanted to be rich. I wanted to be. I thought my calling, was, and not just to be like, you know, rich for just sake. I really thought I was called to make a lot of money to be generous. I was a Christian, and I really felt that was my calling. And there was some sense of God. I know pastors do fine, but, but I'll never do what I think you want me to do. And he said, do you want to put that expectation on the altar? I never thought after the tragedy of my life I would ever get married again. He said, well, are you willing to give your right to be married on the altar? Here you go. I've given you this. Everything that this represents, is it on the altar or isn't it? Are you going to kill it or not? Is it yours or is it mine? I like to drive nice cars. I think people think better of me when I drive nice cars. I used to. never really... I drive a, drive a great car. You put that on the altar? You're messing up the altar, Tim. There's a Bible on there. There's nice flowers. There's wafers. That's great. What God wants on the altar is the things in your heart that you need to kill or be willing to kill and see if God gives them back to you. God will be faithful to his promise. Isaac was never in danger because God could have raised him from the dead. And his promise was going to come through Isaac. It was non-negotiable. It was a unilateral promise that God would be faithful to. But Abraham, his heart needed to not be Isaac's, but God's. Do you realize that if, if we say, oh, that, that boy has Abraham's heart, we say things like that sometimes, you know, that child has your heart. And I, I know what we mean. But if truly what we mean by that is, well, if God ever does anything to my kid, he's no God of mine. And your child's not on the altar. I'm sorry to say that, and I'm not saying God would do anything, but I'm just telling you, I have friends who've walked away from their faith because some tragedy happened in their life, and they say, I'm never serving a God who would not come through for my expectations. And if you say that, you need to take a trip to Mount Moriah, and you need to decide who's God. And I don't want to sound harsh, and I don't want to sound, that's not my job. I'm trying to present what I think the Scripture would call us to, which is there is no God but God, and His heart wants to be one with your heart, and nothing in between it.
Abraham shown in this test and he was willing and God said, I know you fear me now. And he says, I will now provide the sacrifice. And there's caught in a thicket, the ram's horns are caught. And he says, there's the sacrifice. Not your son. But I will provide for you. And he says, I'm going to leave that on there. I'm going to provide for you, he says. And then another name for God comes. And he says, what's a name that some of us are familiar with? Jehovah Yirah, Jehovah Jireh, sometimes we say. The God who provides is the way. But the word Jirah, Ra, is the Hebrew word. It means to see. The same word Hagar used, the God who sees me when I was in the wilderness. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Roy is the is the derivation of that uh, Hebrew word, but it's the same root word. And we say it kind of like this. It's it's the sense of provide to see. We say it in this way. Hey, I'll see to that. Right? We say. You know, I'll provide for that. And, you know, I'll say to Allison, could you, uh, you know, get the, get the stuff started? You know, and she says, I'll see to it. And that's kind of the sense why we say the Lord will provide. Remember we talked about El Olam, the God of the marathon, the God of forever. The God who sees from the beginning to the end. Well, he's also the God in the here and now, the God who will see to the need of the moment. And our faith is a faith that lives in time and that each moment we are asked, God, which, what is more important? You or this? And he said, I will provide. I am Jehovah Yirah. I'm the God who sees the need of the moment. And faith says, God, I don't know how you're going to come through, but I trust you. Moriah, the mountain, we don't know exactly where it is. Some feel it's where Jerusalem is, where the Temple Mount is now. It's not clear in Scripture that's where. Moriah is from the exact same root of Ra, to see, to provide. The mountain he goes to is the mountain of provision, the mountain of the God who sees. And on that mountain, he says, I'll provide the need And of all this, everything we've talked about as Abraham looks as our model, once again, that's not the main emphasis of Genesis. The main emphasis of all of Genesis and all of Abraham is not to point us to imitate Abraham, but is to point us to the one that Abraham, though not knowing his name, had put his faith in. Because there's going to come a day when a son, wood gets loaded on a son, and a father is going to take that son, and he's going to have him go up a hill, and he's going to have him on an altar, on a cross, and the hand's not going to stop, and the father's hand is going to come, and the sacrifice is going to be complete. Because, see, an animal sacrifice wouldn't pay for our sins because... It's only through a perfect sacrifice of one who was fully God and fully man that our sins can be atoned for. And you see, this story, as most of you know, points us 
to the gospel. That for love, amazing, unbelievable, Father God slays his own son for you. For a sacrifice because sin is that offensive to a holy God. And he's so loving. And just as as Abraham knew prophetically and said, God is able to raise this promise from the dead. God the Father said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because three days of journey for Abraham and Isaac is three days of journey for a son who slaughtered, was risen by the power of God, raised from the dead, and lives now for you. Because of this, we celebrate. As we come this morning and as we celebrate the picture, I want you to think about, I'm going to leave my stuff on the altar because I've confessed a few of my many sins, a few of my many potential idols. I want you to think about, you don't have to put it on the altar, but I want you to think about If God, if God did this, no way. I'm done with him. And I want to challenge you to lay that on the altar and to say, even if this happened or that happened, my God can bring life from death. He calls every one of us to step into Abraham's shoes and say, Lord, every good thing, every Isaac, every bad thing, Lord, I offer it back to you. I sacrifice it to you. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. Then he took a cup of wine. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. I want to close with this scripture, which is not a communion scripture, but I feel compelled to read this. I appeal to you, my brothers and sisters, living hope, those who are visiting, those who are believers in Christ, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Ultimately, it's you. You need to be on this altar. And I don't know what represents the things that are going on. But I invite you to come to this altar, not just to take bread and wine, though that is appropriate as we remember the sacrifice. 
But let's offer to God what he calls for, which is our spiritual worship offering ourselves. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, I thank you for these lessons from the book of Genesis that teach us, Father, what it means to walk by faith, not by sight. Lord, and ultimately, as much of life, it comes down to who do we trust. And Lord, I thank you for the picture that Abraham and Isaac give us of a father and a son. Lord, but ultimately, it's the picture that we're given on the cross. The most real thing that we'll ever know is the love shown for us. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So, Lord, mark us as your own, Lord, as we come and as we declare ourselves completely and utterly dependent on you. Show yourself, Lord God, as the true and faithful one, so that we, while we're amazed, we're not surprised that you have been faithful to your word. Lord, let us enjoy your presence, your goodness, Lord, as we come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This communion table is open to those who believe in Jesus Christ, who trusted him. If you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, you're welcome to come up and do so. There'll be people available to pray here. Some of y'all are sick. You're fighting long-term sicknesses. I would invite you to come up, stop, be prayed for, see what God might do. Other needs on your heart, other things that are on your mind or heart troubling you, stop and be prayed for. As you come, take a, a wafer, dip it into the wine. Come in faith, having confessed your sins, and come believing that the Lord loves you so much. He would run to meet you here, and he has. So come and run and meet him here as well. Can I have those who are serving communion come forward?